Friday, September 10th, episode 113 of The Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I'm bringing back the lists, y'all. I've got two lists. The first one is my top five stars I don't trust on the last possession. And I have to put some, some qualifiers on this. Not that they shouldn't take the last shot, right? But just their judgment, their decision-making, ball in their hands, like they got to make it happen. These, This is my starting five lineup of these guys where I'm like, oh, like I, they make me nervous. So I'll start with Donovan Mitchell. And to be fair, I think Donovan has grown a lot. I think he will eventually grow off of this list, right? But his natural instincts to play hero ball combined with still being young and kind of relatively inexperienced. Remember, he picked up the game late. I don't feel good about his decision-making on a final possession. He, he tends to lean on that athleticism at this stage in his career. At the two-guard spot, I've got the GOAT himself in this scenario, Russell Westbrook. I couldn't imagine being on the other end of watching him push the ball up on a final possession. Meaning, like if he was on my squad and I needed the basket to go in, right? Because, and listen, I'm fine with him going to the cup, right? Or even a catch and shoot scenario where he's just off the ball, which we may see a lot more with Los Angeles this year. But traditionally, historically, Russ seems to go to that pull-up in clutch situations, right? Now, when he has it going, that's fine, that elbow pull-up. But I mean, pull-up threes, erratic shots, like it's... He, he just, Russ is one of those guys that shoots when he should drive and drives when he should shoot at times. And so I think he, he makes everybody's list here. He makes you nervous with the ball in his hands. I don't expect him to have the ball in his hands late for this Lakers team. I'll put it to you like that. Next up, I've got Paul George. And look, I thought he played well in these last playoffs. I, I thought he silenced a lot of the critics, myself included, with his aggression and all that. But look, the reality of it is, is we know Paul George doesn't really want the ball in those situations. He's the only one on this list who lacks confidence, right? The other four, it's probably too much confidence, where it's it's borderline arrogance. With PG, we've seen him get real tight in clutch shot situations. Number four, Pascal Siakam. And it's really not his fault, man. I saw a YouTube comment talking about how much I hate Siakam. Why do you hate? I really don't. I'm I'm not even salty about the championship run against my squad. Like, I don't. I more poke fun at him because of his limited bag. But again, it's really not his fault because, look, when Kawhi left, they force-fed him the ball in late-game situations. You saw it all season long and... It was just a mistake. He's not that type of player. It was probably the dumbest thing I've seen Nick Nurse do. Nick Nurse is the best coach in the league, but the fact that they kept force-feeding him the ball, and it just goes to show you that even the smartest and best-run organizations are fallible when it comes to contracts, pecking order, and kind of a confirmation bias, really, is what it is, right? Because it's like they want to, to anoint him. They paid him to be the next guy, but he's just not that guy. He's like a star role player is the way I see Siakam. So I don't, I don't hate him. I just I just like to point out his, his itty-bitty bag. Um, but yeah, no, no, you can't have him creating at the end of games. Number five on my list is Joel Embiid. And he kind of gets a pass for this. I don't think it's talked about as much. 
And maybe he should thank Ben Simmons for that, right? Because whenever the Sixers come up short, the focus is on Ben. And you look at Embiid's numbers, I get it. He puts up monster numbers throughout the game. But I think Embiid suffers from the paradox of choice. He has such a big bag that he doesn't really have a go-to move. There's too many options. And he still ultimately wants to play hero ball late in games. He's, he's gotten much better at accepting double teams throughout the game. But when push comes to shove, he kind of wants to go, you know, like prime mellow. He wants to just wait out the double or split it or just score through it, right? Where you look at someone like the Joker, who he's not just accepting the double team, he's waiting for it. He already knows the two or three passes that he's sitting on when the double comes. And so that's my top five for the stars where 20 seconds left in a one possession game, those guys, they make me nervous. Now, these are my top five stars to create their own shot in the clutch. So not quite the exact opposite of what we just talked about, but clear out, we need a late basket, you make it happen. Number one, I think it's got to be Damian Lillard, right? I think he's earned that clear top spot this decade. The resume speaks for itself. And it's really about that ability to rise up off that quick pound dribble from really anywhere. If you study Dame's game, he doesn't get enough credit. Everybody wants to look at Kyrie and and Steph and and Luka, all these, these fancy step back moves and stuff like that. Dame's game is simple and powerful. And that quick rhythm pound dribble that allows him to get up into that deep three or wherever it is on the floor, it's a deadly weapon. Number two, Kyrie Irving. Y'all know I love to throw shade at at Kyrie. Y'all know it. But I mean, is there anything more spooky than Kyrie Irving on an ISO out in space as a defender? You know, there's nowhere to send him. There's nothing you can yield. It's a difficult situation. Then again, the resume speaks for itself. The brothers clutch. Number three, this is the only one from the new generation to make this list. It's Luka Doncic. We already know he's clutch, right? He's he's proven that in this small sample size of, th- of just three years in the league, right? But overall, you look at his size, his pace, he doesn't get sped up, his ability to draw fouls and draw contact, and then of course, that go-to step-back shot. I've got him in my top three. Number four, Kevin Durant. If you look at the numbers, he hasn't been the most clutch. He really hasn't, right? In his younger days, I thought he was too easily knocked off his spots. I've talked about that several times, and some of it's just his high center of gravity, right? But if there was a knock to Kevin Durant for me, he hasn't worked on his body enough. He could stand to be stronger, right? And you see that, I think, in these scenarios. But he's gotten better at it, right? And much like Embiid, it's tempting for KD to settle because he can always settle, right? He can get a shot anywhere he wants, and so he doesn't always go get the one he should. But at the same time, you're looking at this list, you got to put him on it, right? It's the fact that KD can always get you a good look. Number five, Steph Curry. I know Dub Nation, man, how are you going to put Steph five? How are you going to put Steph five? I've got a couple of reasons. One, he isn't asked to do this as much. Again, this is clear out, go get a bucket late. And part of that is the system and Kerr's role player mindset, I think, that trickles into his coaching. And then some of it also is all the talent that he's played with, right? He just hasn't been asked to do it as much. 
Then the second reason that he is so low on this list is we got to be honest, he's turnover prone. Like Steph turns it over late in games at times. That's historically what he's done. It makes you a little nervous. But to be clear, shot for shot, right? Like if if you said, hey, all five of these guys are going to get the shot they want, then yeah, you know, you're going to put Steph at the top of the list. And to be fair, you know, now I'm copping please because I know how crazy Dub Nation is about their Steph. But maybe I'm being a little unfair with Steph in this because the reality is defenses give him more respect than any of the other four on the list. Yeah, they'll send help. They'll send doubles, right? No one's getting doubled at half court. And so I think maybe part of Steph not being like a higher on this list is the fact that defensively teams are like, no, 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 we, we just ain't even playing that. We're not even going to take the chance. So that has to be pointed out as well. So yeah, that's my clear out and go get a bucket late list. Not to be confused with decision makers on final possessions. You may think I'm leaving some names out here, which would mean like you'd have Braun on there. You'd have Jokic, guys where... I'm not saying they're going to create their own, but you want the ball in their hands to make the decision to create the shot for whatever shot you're going to get, if that makes sense. The other thing that I heard going around on the internet was somebody prominent on Twitter had tweeted out, yo, I don't care what you say. Derek Rose still better career than Dame Lillard. Overall, he just, he, he Derek Rose is ahead of Dame when you, when it's all said and done. Well, first off, it's not all said and done for either of them. But the way I feel about it is, yeah, if Derrick Rose never gets hurt, it's probably not even close. But he did. And how it's actually played out, I don't think when it's said and done, Derrick Rose will be ahead of Damian Lillard. Now, it's tough because whenever you get an MVP, is Derrick Rose still the youngest MVP ever? Could Luka pass that this year? I don't know, right? So there are some legacy marks that Derrick Rose hits that, It'd be impossible for Dame to get, but uh, just body of work. No, nah, I, I got to go with Dame. I got to go with Dame. Just, you know, we could play this all the time. If Grant Hill doesn't get hurt, you know, Grant Hill better than. So the, I, I'm not willing to say the ifs and what's, but it was an interesting conversation that's been going on on social media over the week. Now, today, Friday, is the Hall of Fame induction for 2021. So here's the list. Coach Rick Adelman. thought he was a solid coach, man. I think Rick Adelman, the way I view him, is someone who was ahead of his time offensively. You remember those Kings teams? He bounced around. He coached I mean, several spots. He had his most success with the Kings. And uh, he never won a chip, right? But he did it with volume. 23 seasons. His playoff record, 78 and 78. And then to go right alongside him, Chris Webber gets it. You could argue that neither Rick or Chris get in without each other. They, they, again, had their most success with each other, so it's fitting that they go in together. And Chris is a victim of his own talent. The hype of the Fab Five, I think we expected Chris to have a Shaq, Tim Duncan-like career where he just did more winning than he did. And you could blame some of it on injury, right? Like the guy never saw a dumbbell he didn't pick up or a squat rack he didn't walk by. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think he got, he got too muscular. He got too heavy. When you start to have knee problems, you don't build your upper body bigger and heavier. And he got so top heavy. Him, him and Bibby, I don't know what they was on, man. They was curls for the girls. But, um, but yeah, so there was that part of it. But for those of you that kind of missed his career or were too young for that, the closest comparison right now would be Jokic. Now, Jokic, you have to take it by generation, right? Each generation, it gets crazier and crazier and more skilled. He isn't as good of a passer. It, it, doesn't, it didn't look like that. But in his time, in the late 90s, that it, that's what it was. It was like a big who was super slick, passes, high elbow. They could run the offense through him, right? But here's the caveat. His mentality, I would compare to Paul George's. Big moments? Nah, nah. They weren't for Chris. They weren't for Chris. But all in all, yeah, I mean, even you look at the body of work in college and what he's meant to, you can't tell the story of basketball without bringing up Chris Webber and the Fab Five and in that part, the Kings, Lakers, and that, that portion of it. So Chris Webber deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But who cares if I think he does? Next up, Chris Bosh. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Honestly, I think Chris Bosh is still underrated. You know, he sacrificed the most out of the big three in Miami. I could argue he was the best defender of the three there. He's got the chips. He didn't have the longevity, but it was it was cut short. And so, yeah, Chris Bosh, congratulations. Now, there were two WNBA players that made it. Yolanda Griffith and Paul Pierce. I mean, Lauren Jackson. I can't really speak on them. I, I don't you know. The name Yolanda sounds familiar, right? There were two bigs. Um, but no, the truth got in as well. Paul Pierce got in as well. And as much as I like giving Paul a hard time about his takes on television, as a player, I got nothing but praise. In fact, that list that I just talked about, the clear out and go get a bucket late list, Paul would have made that top five in his prime. It wasn't always pretty, man, but you want to talk about clutch and just a ball player? So yeah, Paul Pierce. You guys know the accolades he got the chip, put up a lot of points. And then they're putting Bill Russell in again, this time as a coach. Whenever you hear an old timer talk or a historian of basketball, people love to point out how underrated Bill Russell is and he doesn't get the respect he gets. At a certain point, I mean, he gets a ton of respect. They're putting him in the Hall of Fame again. All right, cool, whatever. Here's one that I didn't realize. Jay Wright. I didn't know he was such an OG. You listen to an interview from him and he just has that young energy to him, right? But after 27 years of coaching, that just speaks to how much he loves the game, right? And so Jay Wright, again, I didn't understand how much of an OG he was. That's well-deserved. Still seems like he's in his prime with that Villanova program. And then here's the suspect one, Ben Wallace. Or at least I thought it was until I actually looked at his resume. When I just glanced at Ben Wallace as Hall of Famer, I was like, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. And then I looked at his resume. Of course, he has the chip with Detroit, but four All-Stars, five All-NBA teams, and then did you realize he won four Defensive Players of the Year? Four? Man, that, that must have been during my party years because I don't remember all that, bro. I, I know he was nice and he had his run. It was a cool story because he came out of nowhere. Was he even drafted, right? He might have been undrafted, but I didn't know Ben had a resume like that. Damn. 
with the Basketball Hall of Fame, it's hard to say, oh, he he doesn't, he shouldn't make it, and this and that. It seems silly from from a fan's perspective to even say that. But since the bar isn't as high for the NBA Hall of Fame, there's not much to say, right? You're like, all right, all right, he was really good for a time, then he's in, right? It's not like football or baseball where these arguments can kind of get spicy. All right, I'll talk a little Warriors here, and it'll kind of maybe round off some of the questions I missed in last week's mailbag. Dub Nation, we have talked about Bradley Beal and Ben Simmons to death as far as trade scenarios, right? What about Zach Levine? He is supposedly the third big name that could possibly be had. I know Chicago wants to bring him back. Bulls fans are like, can't have him, can't touch him. No, he's not available, right? But look, the reality is when y'all paid DeMar DeRozan $85 million, it may not directly be the reason why you lose Levine, but that's the misstep that you will look back at if you do. My question to Warriors fans is, would you trade Andrew Wiggins and James Wiseman for Zach Levine? It'd be some sort of sign and trade. I brought it up last week talking about the Bulls. They're super shallow in the front court. So you get young James Wiseman, you get Wiggins. I mean, I'm not saying the Bulls love it, but again, ultimately Zach can push his way out of there. If we're sitting at the all-star break and this Bulls team is underachieving or the chemistry doesn't mash, like he ain't feeling Caruso's headband, he could be out there. That's the word. And so from a Warriors perspective, you're kind of doubling down on scoring and he would take a ton of pressure off Steph Curry offensively, right? It would be the closest thing to Kevin Durant for Steph as far as, and look, don't get it twisted. I'm not comparing Zach to KD. I'm just saying as far as like a pressure valve for Steph, a guy that you can give the ball, he can attract a ton of gravity and he can operate the offense and create for others. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying I do it. I'm just, it hasn't been talked about as, as much, right? It's all, the focus has been Beal and Simmons and, you know, so I think for me, I'm more intrigued with Levine than Beal. He's two years younger. He's more talented. He's more dynamic. I guess that's ultimately my question for, for you Warriors fans. If it were between those two, who would you value more? I know that Beal probably feels like the safer play, but Zach's kind of been buried in, in, on this bad Chicago team. He's quietly becoming a big problem. The other Warrior topic that I kind of wanted to talk about here, I did a Bialitsa breakdown this week on Patreon, and I was looking at possible rotations, and I realized, look, there's going to be some odd men out of this rotation. The Warriors are, you know, knock on wood healthy. They're way deeper than they were a year ago. Right. And I think the obvious guy that's going to fall out or get knocked out is, is Juan Toscano Anderson when you look at Igadala and Clay being back. But I'll tell you what, I got a little early prediction. People wanted predictions in the West and this and that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Andre that ends up the odd man out. Now, he's obviously going to get first crack, right? Like just this off seniority, off cloud, off all that, off relationships. But by January, Let's see who's actually in this rotation because I thought it was kind of interesting that Steph was so quick to bring up when they asked him about Iguodala coming back. He was like, oh, he's back to play. He, he, he's here to play and contribute. He's going to play. He, he has, he's got a lot left. It's like when someone tells you, hey, man, I'm an honest guy. Oh, yeah? Because honest guys don't have to say that they're honest guys, right? And so my point is, is that I think that Andre's value to this team at this stage 
and his role is going to be kind of more of a player coach. I don't think he's going to be playing 20, 25 minutes a night. I, I really don't. And then maybe we'll see late March they rev him up for a playoff role. That's my early prediction, that Juan and some of these young dudes kind of fight for minutes and earn the minutes. But then again, maybe I shouldn't make that prediction considering how stubborn Steve Kerr is. All right, I'm going to finish up with one segment I may add here in the offseason is uh, pickup game tips. And y'all can hit me, you know, on, on Twitter, socials or whatever, if you have questions specifically or whatever. But I'll start with just a funny one here. Just have a little fun with it, right? So for you weekend warriors and you uh, people are getting back out in the world and starting to hoop again, right? How do you size a guy up, whether you're trying to like make your four or you're just getting ready to match up? Because I look at the shoes. If I don't know the players, I look at the shoes. Obviously, you can spot your generic hooper, right? They come in in their slides or their Crocs, and then whatever shoes they put on, they're usually like a year or two old, right? They're, they're nothing too old, right? Within the last two seasons, a signature shoe or whatever, right? But then there are some specific shoes that can kind of send off some flags. First, you got the running or training shoe guy, right? He's in some cross trainers. Usually, that means he's a weightlifter, right? He's coming for some cardio. You don't want to match up with him because he's going to be overly physical, handsy, but then he's going to act like he's not fouling you. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm not, I'm not putting a forearm into your chest. <laughs> so I tend to avoid that matchup. Then you've got Van's kid, right? He's in some skater shoes. Usually skinny, athletic, but look out because he don't move right. At least not on a basketball court. Chances are he's going to hit the ground several times no contact needed. Then you got old pair of base Nikes. I'm talking about like the $54 pair at the shoe pavilion. They're hoop shoes. They're hoop shoes, right? But there you want to talk about being a minimalist. That dude going to be a solid role player, right? He's going to set screens. He's going to rebound, knock down the open shots. Every squad needs one. And then you got the dude in the $500 Kobe's. Right? You see all the NBA players. That's nothing to an NBA player. But when bro comes into LA Fitness with the $600 Kobe's and he's hooping in them, you already know what time it is. You better hope that he's on. You already know he's looking you off and putting them up. I do want to say this. I don't want to talk too much football in here. I'll have a Niners breakdown Monday on Patreon. I got to send my apologies to Dak Prescott. I got to send my apologies to Dak, man, because... I was I, I was like, man, this dude is out of his mind asking for all that money. Like Dallas, like this is just crazy. He went he went blow for blow with the goat last night. I didn't know he had that type of arm talent. And then the the what do they like to say? The moxie, the toughness though to come back from that injury and the shoulder and everything that everything around it was just super impressive, man. So you know, Cowboy fans, I know that there's nothing worse than losing on a last second field goal. But big picture, you got to feel pretty damn good about the way specifically Dak looked. Maybe not so much Zeke, but shit, Dak, Dak looked like he worth every cent. Y'all enjoy the weekend. This is The Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.